Welcome to the How I Became podcast, all about entrepreneurship. Marley, welcome to the How I Became podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. I know we were just saying this, but it's crazy to see how far you've come in just a year. You are the Corporate Knights top 30 under 30 list. You're winning money all over the place. The company has really just started to scale and I... I'm so excited for you and I'm so excited to hear from ideation to where you are today, how you've gotten here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be on. For everyone that doesn't know, Kelly was actually one of my mentors at an accelerator that I was part of when I just had the idea for Rocks. And Kelly was a great founding board of just like, I have this idea. What do I do? What are the next steps? How do I market it? So it's really a full circle moment being here like a year and a half ago. That probably was, right? So yeah, it's it's been a crazy journey. Like when I first had the idea, I was just trying to join all these accelerator programs, incubators, because I really had no idea like how to start a company or, you know, once you have an idea, like what's the next step? So people like Kelly were amazing mentors at the beginning. And yeah, I launched just a lean MVP like almost a year ago now, which is kind of crazy. I know when we were talking, Kelly, we were talking about the importance of just like getting something out there and I wanted it to be like, perfect right like all the bells and whistles of everything but yeah I just launched my lean MVP a year ago and based on customer feedback and I got a new CTO to join to build out like a fully coded app so that's kind of where we're, where we're at now but yeah it's been a wild journey from ideation to execution I love it and I re- I realized because I've been following your journey and I know racks inside and out but yeah. for those listening they may not so why don't you also give a quick rundown of what the what the product is and what is the business that you're growing right yeah, I guess we never <laughs> <laughs> we got too excited yeah I know yeah so racks is a peer-to-peer clothing rental app so what I mean by peer-to-peer is I could lend out a dress from my closet and Kelly could borrow it from me so we're really trying to drive the circular economy of fashion and allow people to have access to fashion at like 98% off. And then also, on the other hand, we're able to monetize an item that probably sits in your closet most days out of the year. Anyways, so really empowering people to become their own entrepreneur as well. I remember one of the things we were talking about at the time you were wanting to start marketing like get, getting out there on instagram and tiktok yeah. but you're like i think i want to wait until i have a product and we were we were talking about like no just get it out there get people excited. yeah you're like why but why great <laughs> totally and i don't even think it would have mattered because the the growth has just been amazing and clearly the whether it's the reception has been amazing or that you're responding to all the reception and like hearing the feedback from from your customers, what has that been like? Has there been consistent iterations? Bringing on a CTO, obviously, like that's a huge step. So, how has both the customer feedback, but now having a CTO on board, helping grow the business? Yeah, since we did just launch with a lean MVP, we knew there were a ton of features we wanted to build out, but we wanted to make sure we were building the right ones versus just guessing, right? And I think as an entrepreneur, it's hard to you want your first product to be like everything but you do just got to get out there so yeah we just launched elite mvp and then talked to a ton of users the platform that we did use was like a no code platform so it's not the best it is kind of a bit slow and laggy which isn't the best customer experience so we're taking all that learning and all that feedback to build out like fully coded app 
and did find a CTO to join, which is awesome because my background's in marketing, not in anything technical. So being a solo founder and leading a tech product definitely had its challenges. How did you decide what would go into being an MVP product? What did it actually look like on day one versus where you are today versus what's the goal for, you know, the next three, six, nine months? Yeah, when I first had the idea, I kind of wrote out like a Google Doc of just every single thing that I wanted in the app, like my ideal state, like a fully built out app. And then I took it to the app development company and they were like, okay, that will be like $100,000 and a year. And I'm like, okay, well, no, not going to do that. So I went the no code route, which is a lot cheaper and quicker to market and pretty much scaled back every single thing that I wanted besides what it actually took to make the product run. So the actual borrowing and lending of clothing and everything else was just an addition. So really scaled it back to as lean as it possibly could be just to work. Especially since the low-code tool has a lot of limitations, you can't actually do a lot of things. It's kind of like plug and play. So I pretty much had to scale that or else slow things down or it just wasn't even possible. So that was kind of like how I started, how I actually launched. And then now since we're moving the code from like no code to fully coded, Pretty much have to rebuild everything from scratch. There's no sort of easy like wrapper just to to turn it into code. It's so that's been quite a bit. Not only have to build the new app, but also migrate all our current users and our current data. So again, we're going back to that really like lean model, and we're just getting something out there coded, and then we'll build out all the other features. And we have a really long product roadmap, but I'm still in the mentality of just launching a new coded app, super lean, super quick, and just getting a better version out there. I love it. How did you how did you initially come up with this idea? Because there's I don't know if I would say competitors, but maybe alternatives to that solution, but more buying and selling. So how did you come up with this idea and then go from an idea to, okay, I'm gonna invest my time and energy into it? Yeah, it came from my own personal pain point. I'm at the age where my friends are all starting to get married, which is scary. And I know Kelly, when we were talking, you were just Happy your wedding too. And I was just buying all these formal dresses. They're hundreds of dollars, wearing them once. Once you wear them to an event, you know, sadly, you don't want to wear them again. So it would just sit in my closet. And I thought there must be a platform like Poshmark or like Depop, like you mentioned, like those resale ones. But for rentals, like if I could rent from someone who lived near me, who had a similar style, or even someone across the country could ship it to me. But to my surprise, there really wasn't anything that I could find. So it definitely came just from my own pain point and need and then seeing that gap in the market where there wasn't really anything. From day one to, say, winning the Coors Legacy Grant, what was the work that went into that? And obviously, as you mentioned, there was the $100,000 route of getting it fully built, but there's this other more uh, bootstrapped version of, of growing. So what has that looked like? And then... I'd be curious to know with the grant that you received, how you're prioritizing that spend. Yeah, right from the beginning, it was super scrappy because I was bootstrapping the entire business by myself. So I knew I wanted to go that no code route, which is a lot cheaper, quicker to market. I was spending $0 on marketing. So everything has been organic up until now. But I'm super scrapping with the dollars I put in, but also my effort as well. Like I'm always researching accelerator programs, incubators, grants, like different PR companies I can reach out to or different news sources. Like you really have to put in the effort and do the hustle to find these opportunities because they're probably not just going to come to you. So super scrappy in that regard. And then found the core is legacy grant just from 
one of my researching lines. And yeah, it was a $40,000 grant, which I'm using towards like a go-to-market plan for my new app launch, which is really nice. We'll actually have marketing dollars now to promote the new launch. So it's everything from, you know, working with influencers to get that great content, promoting it on Instagram and TikTok, and then building out some programs like a referral program, a sell-out program, some like events and stuff like that. So that's where the majority of the 40K will go is toward go-to-market, which is nice because development costs can be expensive, but my CTO is on for equity, which has made it so much easier to really use the funds toward, you know, marketing versus development resources, which are hundreds of thousands of dollars to have someone on at that level. So I was going to ask about that because being a solo entrepreneur is incredibly tough. There's no one as invested as you to soundboard things off of and to invest in the ideas. And one of the previous episodes, someone said, you know, as a solo entrepreneur, every single win is totally 100% your win, but every single fail is 100% your fail. And there's no one to dig you out of that hole if you're feeling really down. So do you find with the CTO that that's kind of like your partner in crime now going forward? Or maybe the other way of asking that question is how are you keeping yourself motivated? Because it is incredibly hard when it's Mm. just you. Yeah. And I had that mindset going in. I was going to do it all on my own. Like I want to be a solo founder and really just build lifts. And then I came up with all on my own. Once I realized the development costs, I was like, Ooh, maybe I should get a typical co-founder and really lead like the tech side of things. I reached out to so many people just on like LinkedIn cold reach out to developers and couldn't find anyone that I liked or like you mentioned, like that loves the idea as much as you do and was passionate as it as you. So that's why I kind of went the low code route and like put my own money into it because it was going to be a lot cheaper and quicker to do. But even then, like costs add up and you still don't have that sounding board just to run ideas by and just like overall business stuff too, right? Like not just right. the lit side. So once I did launch that lean MVP, um, and the app was kind of slow and laggy because it was that no code tool. I was kind of back at square one where I was like, I know I need to find a technical person to join the team or else like I can't handle the tech side and the upside and pay more money into this. So that's when I did more cold reach out and finally found the perfect person who was really into startups, entrepreneurship and had that like written duration that you need and like loved the kind of hustle of a startup. And he also loves more of the strategy side of things too. So he likes to talk about all areas of the business, not only product. So yeah, that was kind of the journey of being a solo founder into finding the CTO. And is that the team right now? It's the two of you building? Yeah, and we have two interns who are supporting on app development as well. So that's making it go a lot better, which is nice. How are you prioritizing even that effort? Because... I would imagine that as a marketer, that's kind of where you want to spend most of your energy. It's also your strength, but Mm -hmm. it's also important that the product you're building is great. So between the two of you, is that kind of the two major areas of focus? Yeah, that's the hardest thing. Like when I first read Rocks, I think I was very much in that like hustle mentality where I'm just going to work all hours and like spread myself thin and just, you know, that's kind of what you hear when you, when people talk about startups. And I did that for about a year and a half. Then I realized, like, this is a long-term game and I can't keep putting 100% into just this one area of my life because then my health will suffer, like, my happiness, my friends, my family, like, all these other areas that you kind of neglect when you're, like, so focused on starting a business. So now I'm a lot more structured with, like, let me write out my top priorities for that week, that month, and then break it down and focus on things that will actually move the needle. 
So I am involved still in a lot of like development product side, just making sure like we're building the right thing, the user feedback is heard, and I'm kind of following like the design and the user experience and the UI and like all that stuff. But I would say my day-to-day is still very focused on like what I love the most and around that brand building and go-to-market strategy. So yeah, it's, it is quite a balance. We just have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. You're so excited and so passionate in the beginning that you don't want to burn that out. And you also want everything to happen in one day. And that's yeah. just not how things work. Yeah. So figuring out how to keep yourself motivated and how to keep things pushing forward, even on those days that you just want to curl up in a ball and do nothing. I want to touch on the marketing side a little bit. I I guess this is a while back after your launch, but you had a pretty solid growth right in the beginning, a couple Mm -hmm. hundred signups. So can you share how you did that right from the get-go? Because I think those types of wins makes it really exciting to see. Yeah, I remember thinking like, oh, if only had like 50 signups, would be amazing. Like 50 people using my app and then we got a hundred and like over a hundred in less than a day. And I think you're suggesting like when we were first talking like two years ago now about just starting it early and start posting about what I'm doing really helped because I already had a sign up list of people that have added their their name to the wait list. So I was generating buzz on Instagram and TikTok, just kind of talking about what we were doing, posting about it on LinkedIn a bit. So I did have maybe 50 or 100 people or something on my sign up list, which made it really easy to just send out like a launch email, like, hey, I'm live. I created some launch assets. So kind of like these fun, like, viral video type created stuff that my friends could post on their social channels and then I had a launch party as well with just my friends and family and they were like posting about it too so I think never kind of minimize the impact that just like your friends and immediate family can have because they post to their 300 followers and then you know five of them download it and talk to one person and that person right like it really is that virality effect and yeah. definitely just my inner network and posting about it on LinkedIn and social media and kind of help to drive those initial downloads right away. It's incredible how small but mighty support system can really amplify your business. And sometimes it's scary as an entrepreneur to tap into that because you're like, I don't want to actually admit that I'm doing this thing. But if you do it and you totally leaned into that. No, at first, I hate talking about it at first, like wouldn't bring it up or like talk about it at all and even now it's hard to like even talk about what I'm doing I don't know why I think it's until we get to this level of like success you don't want to talk about like what you're doing because you feel like you're not like big enough or good enough and it is like a scary thing to kind of put yourself out there and build in public it is a hard thing to do so you had the launch party you you can't just stop there. You have to keep no. things moving forward and keep people signing up. So what did that look like for, you know, the, the next couple months after that to continue to get signups uh, consistently? It was interesting because the app was a bit slow and laggy. So I was like, not that I didn't want more people on it, but I didn't want people to have a bad experience. So I was almost like, do I stop posting it until there was a new app? Or do I just like own the fact that it's slow and laggy and keep marketing and keep getting users and if it's a good product they'll use it even though it might take a few seconds for it to load or it might be buggy and that was almost the best decision because if people are using a product that like barely works not barely works it doesn't work that well then you found your best product market fit because they're using it even though it's not a great product right now right like the idea was there people were posting and they were borrowing and i was like okay if they're using this I can't imagine what they use if it's actually like a great product. So I'm super happy that I did keep marketing it 
and users were a lot more like kind than I thought. They'd be like, hey, it's a bit slow, but like lovely idea. They'd be like, oh, here's some great feedback for like some problems that I ran into. Like, people were really kind, even though the app wasn't the best. So I think just get something out there and you know, if people are using it, even though there might be some bugs or whatever, like that's the best sounding board is the products that might actually work. It's incredible that you overcame that because I think that's a, for a lot of founders, a fear of not really doing an MVP and waiting for it to be perfect. But to your point, um, and, and it's never going to be perfect because no business ever stops. So, yeah, I think it's just like, okay, just hit play, just go live to see what happens. And you'll get some like, you'll get a lot of love out of it. And you'll get a lot of learnings. It's better to learn now than to build the perfect product and realize you built the wrong thing. Yeah, so we waited like a year and I spent all that money, then probably something would have been to the market and it would have been too late or it would have been building the wrong thing and the wrong features and missed out on all that kind of like organic growth that's happened over the past year, all those learnings. So even though it wasn't ideal having a slow leggy product, like people used it. And I got so much good user feedback that we're now taking to launch what we know people actually want. I'm curious to know the experience when you had the first renter. There was so, like, it was so exciting even seeing the first download of a name that I didn't know. And then the first, like, listing of someone that I didn't know. And then the first borrow. Like, I just wanted every experience to be so good. So I remember the first borrow, like, was a random person that rented for my friend. So I could kind of control one side of it. So I like reached out to my friend and I was like, I want this user to have the best experience. So I'm going to pick up the dress from you and deliver the dress to this girl and then take it from her and then bring it back to you. Like, I know for a product like this, you're not supposed to be like the middleman. Like it really is just connecting two sides. But I wanted them to have the best experience. So I was super involved, like making sure it showed up at their doorstep and like, you know, both sides were happy. So yeah, it was a really exciting time. And I'm definitely in the early days, like way more involved than I should be. But I think that might bring the best customer experience. So now we're taking that to the new app and want to provide that same level of like experience from the early days. So it's it's really just a great sounding board of like the level of support you should be giving your customers. In the beginning, people think it, that's part of that MVP is there's going to be a lot more manual work to get it done. And then you can automate that and the door-to-door experience becomes an amazing unboxing experience or an amazing follow-up. But I agree, even when we had our apparel brand, I I couldn't wait. Like I would hand deliver every single piece because you're just so excited and you don't want to wait for Canada Post to pick it up or mail it. You're like, I can drive it in 20 minutes. Maybe shipping's like delayed or they lose it. Like you you just want them to have the best experience, which is so exciting. You mentioned that you are doing like incubators and competitions and stuff to raise funds, but have you started thinking about what your rate like if you'll be doing a raise if you're going to do pe if you're going to just bootstrap um what that looks like going forward to ensure you get that growth that you want i think so like we're thinking about maybe spring and summer of next year once we have the new app belt we can approve out like this new growth model using like a fully built out app and put some more fund into it like once we kind of know like one dollar will get us X amount in return. Like I really want kind of that proven growth engine before I raise. I definitely like to bootstrap as long as I can to own that equity and to have, you know, all the rights to your company too. I think it's something that people don't talk about enough. I just did, I was just talking to someone about VC and 
when you're in a startup, you feel like every business should go through the VC route and it's so exciting and it's this big shiny thing that you think you should work towards. Although it's really not always the right way to grow your business. And that is a very clear exit strategy route if you go VC, whereas you can grow a really incredible business so many different ways. I just felt what I learned when I was in school that that's like the be all end all. But I think And I'm hearing more and more from founders that like, no, actually, that's not the route that I want to go. And I think it's really exciting because it means you're going to grow, if I can say, in a more meaningful way with your passion still there and still being able to dictate what the product will look like. It is. And it's almost a badge of honor in the startup community. Like, oh, you're not successful unless you raise funds because you're only successful if VCs want to invest in you and you're not if you're just doing it bootstrap, right? That's almost become like, a success metric but don't realize like they're valuing your company at a certain amount you have to hit these targets they want this really really dramatic growth at all costs almost model and they want an exit within five years right and that not, might not be what every founder wants um so definitely just depends on you know the industry and your product and your team and what you would need the money for but yeah definitely has to come like this badge of honor in the startup world where you're not successful you have a beast it's it's like that is a badge of honor and not sleeping is a badge of honor and i i feel that those things are starting to those myths are starting to break down a little bit which is great i think it's important but what is your experience with like some of those stigmas do you think that they're going away do you think that there's new ones emerging in the new startup world yeah the stigmas are definitely like the hustle mentality grind um and then yeah raising bc funds and i think those are starting to become less superior like mental health as founders is a huge thing and in almost every accelerator incubator program that i'm in like that's actually a topic they talk about it's like it's a lonely journey you're spending all this time and money and a lot of times see absolutely no return on it especially in the early days so it is something that's becoming less stigmatized and especially bootstrapping too i think people really value that more than they did in previous years especially the landscape nowadays in the community market of raising money it's it's very difficult and very different than before right like what are some of the i know you're still early in your journey but what are some of the learning that you've already had at this stage i think the biggest thing would have just been getting that technical person on right from the beginning i think having that development resource in-house would have saved me a lot of money a lot of time and this slow and leggy product and if i had this you know, fully built out app a year ago when I launched instead of going the notebook route, it would have been so much further along now, would have saved a ton of money, could have used money to market it. So definitely having like that co-founder and that technical person right from the beginning, bootstrap and on the tech side when I'm not technical, definitely proved like most of the challenges for Rax. Do you find it's hard to let go some of that ownership now that you have a co-founder on board when you didn't originally i think it's awesome that you realized early on like oh there's a gap here and for this to succeed i need to bring someone on it's a good yeah because i am protective of racks right like it was like i did come up with the idea and i started it and i launched it and they have the initial yeah. use introduction and matt my cto joined and he was like you know i don't have to be a co-founder because i didn't found this business with you like he was really respectful of that and he was like i'm not too caught up in like you know what my title is and if i'm you know founding 
developer or CTO or co-founder, like it doesn't really matter to me. Like I believe in what you're building and I respect what you've built and I want to amplify it. So I was really, really lucky because some people I talked to, I'm only joining if I'm co-founder and I get 50%. And that was really hard for me to give up. So that wasn't the situation with my CTO map. So I'm really grateful for that. And it's made for a great like relationship built when bringing on someone so early stage because you know, you want someone that you get along with and a lot of that like what he split is one of the biggest reasons like people fight as co-founders. So I was really lucky to have found Matt as my CTO. And how did you find him? Like he sounds like he's been a really impactful part of the of the growth of Rock. So just through LinkedIn, like I like searched every developer on LinkedIn, sent them a message like, hey, I'm building this and then interviewed so many people and a lot of people just weren't a fit. I kind of had this test going in that I called the beer test that if I can't grab beer with you, then I don't want to work with you because <laughs> you are going to be working with someone, you know, every day. And if I didn't get along with them in that personal regard, that I didn't want to bring them on. So I probably interviewed like 50 people, honestly. And he was the best in that, you know, who's easy to go along with and like the strategy and more like holistic startup things, not just development and was really easy going about like the equity and like co-founder title. Like he wasn't so caught up on those things so it really was a perfect match but you definitely got to interview a lot of people and make sure you have these like strict things what you want because they do say it is like a marriage having a, a co-founder bringing on someone early stage and you're you're right it's like a marriage you're stuck with them hopefully for a really long time and the the more you grow the more time you're spending with this person so you want to make sure that you're not going to really regret that decision what what else other I mean the beer test is hilarious I think that's great are there were there other things that you looked at or thought about when you were going through those interviews or like a framework that helped you decide who was the right fit for for the company yeah there's kind of three main things the beer test so like do we get along personally and can I hang out with you second was just like the grid determination of like running a startup. Like I didn't want someone that was going to say, oh, it's too many hours or like, I don't want to work on it at night or like all these kind of things that you need to start up. So I wanted someone that was willing to put in the work. And the third thing was someone that could do like full stack development. So front end, back end. But more than that, someone that was just interested in startups. So Matt and I talk a lot about like, what is the culture of Rex going to be when we make our first few hires? And are we going to raise? What does that raise look like? And he helps a lot with like the marketing side of things. Like I'll share with him marketing stuff and he's just a great sounding board. So I kind of wanted this unicorn of that could do everything in sort of land. It's one I got along with. And yeah, those are kind of the three main like categories that I looked at. Amazing for him. That's really exciting also that he gets to be part of a really cool business early on. I know that there's so much going on and already so many exciting things that have happened in the last year i kind of want to know what you're looking forward to the most over the next year as you guys are planning but also what has been out of all the incredible things that has happened from launching getting your first customer your first unknown customer hiring a cto what has been like the highlight for you so far in the experience yeah, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just being able to properly market like a good app once it's launched. Because right now I have just been doing organic and just kind of getting initial user traction feedback. But because the app is a bit slow and laggy, I'm not focusing that much on that side of things. So that is like what my background is in and what I'm most interested in. So I'm most looking forward to the new app and being able to 
fully market it. And the thing that was most exciting that has already happened, I think would have been getting the $40,000 grant from Coors because that's close to what I actually put into the business from like development costs to incorporation to all those random monthly fees. And I think just getting that money back within the first year, like obviously it was super scary to put that much money in and the day would cringe every time I would look at the amount of money that I spent. But getting that money back within the first year, even as just a grant, was kind of just like a way to show like what you put in, you've already gotten back as like at least in the monetary value. And that was just a really big weight off my shoulders. And I'm assuming you're going to be reinvesting the 40K. And- yeah, I'm reinvesting it into everything we make goes into racks. So reinvesting them into all orange will be exciting. Or just my first piece of good feedback. Like I received a message from someone who rented this expensive dress and she just said, like, I've been eyeing this dress for so long, but couldn't afford it. And the fact that I saw it on racks and my exact size and the color that I wanted and I was able to wear it, like it was just what racks is all meant for, right? Like democratizing fashion, making everyone feel included and that they can, you know, wear any item regardless of the cost because you're getting like up to 90% value. So I think that was probably my first piece of like feedback that I got from a user and it was really impactful because she was able to wear her dream dress feel great look great all these things and save a ton of money on it as well so that's probably the best thing looking back that's incredible what a you know you think oh it's a platform to trade clothing right but it actually can be so meaningful and so impactful in someone's life even yeah, wearing a dress that you've been eyeing for a really long time, but financially you can't afford it. Or, you know, you have a big interview and you don't want to buy a new outfit for the interview. So you rent something like there's so many opportunities where this can be a really fun tool, but it can also be so impactful for people's like lives, which is really special. And how you look is a big, like how you look and feel is a big way of how you can across. Like, you know, when I'm like, just, wearing a sweatsuit and like not you know looking great I just don't feel confident I don't feel like talking to people or going my way just like say hi to people at you know whatever when you're out but when I'm like in a great outfit that I feel good in like I just feel like it presents yourself as you know it, it is a big impact on what you wear and how you feel so it was a really hard yeah. story. yeah you hold yourself differently you present yourself differently you just kind of like radiate whatever you're feeling internally we're getting to the last couple questions so we kind of talked on this a little bit, but I, you're so deep in the startup world that I'll ask it specifically. It's myths that we're told when we're getting into entrepreneurship. So whatever. So I'm curious if there's any myths or things that people were telling you as you were vocalizing that you want to get into entrepreneurship that you want to dispel. And now that you are a founder, you know that those things aren't actually true. I think a big myth is that you have to have a net new idea and that no one has ever done it before. And I think that's not true. We've seen so many great companies come out of like these legacy industries. Like we've seen Fable, which does really beautiful like plates and homeware and cups and stuff like that. And that's on new industry. It's probably one of the oldest industries people have been making that, you know, day one. But they just created like this loved category in a category that didn't really have any that resonated with it or like blue land for cleaning supplies cleaning supplies have been around forever but they've created this like sustainable way of putting tablets into bottles that create the solution that you can use so the biggest myth that i heard was 
you know, no one should have ever done your idea before and it should be not new or else you're not going to succeed. And I don't think that that's true. I think if you are just a little bit better or if you brand it in a different way, like that is insanely valuable. And a ton of great companies have come from really crowded industries. That's such a big one. I, I never even really thought of it as a myth, but it's true. I was even just actually walking with my brother the other day and we were thinking like, like, what is a gap that we could solve? But it doesn't necessarily need to be that. It's what's just a little bit shitty that we can improve yeah. and that can be the product. It's and a like great blue brands or like swimsuit brands. We've seen so many pop up in recent years. Like that's nothing new, but they might create super cool designs or be able to market it well, right? Like you don't have to create something that's completely new. And I think that's something that I got a lot with Racks too. They were like, oh, well, there's Rent the Runway or like right. this is a business model in the UK. And I'm like, yeah, but it hasn't been brought to Canada and it hasn't been done well in Canada. It has been. And yeah, that was probably one of the biggest myths that I heard. That's, that's a great one. I would assume one of the big hurdles that you have is shipping costs because you are saving a lot on buying the product or using the product as a rental versus buying it but yeah two of the biggest hurdles one is like the shipping cost because if people are renting they don't want to pay for shipping and then the second one is just around like giving up owners for your item and like having a random person wear it what if you know something goes wrong so on the shipping front most of our um transactions are actually local pickup so you can you know meet up with someone locally and that's 100 free so that has kept costs really low um, yesterday I just rented a dress actually it was valued at like $900 and I rented it for $150 uh, it's this beautiful V Chapman dress that I'm wearing to a holiday party coming up um, and on that I was able to do local pickup but if I wasn't in the area it would have been around like $15 shipping but when I'm paying $150 for a $900 dress like the $15 doesn't make that big of a dent No. so we haven't had too much concern around the string cost actually which was one of the biggest things that I did yeah, at the beginning when I had the idea, it was just, we're a logistics company, right? Like, we're operations for logistics. We're connecting two people, and the shipping was a big concern, but haven't been so far, which has been nice. Did you realize when you got into it that you would be starting a logistics company? Like, no, I was like, oh, fashion rental? That's an industry, but not that's an industry. I'm in. I'm like, operations and logistics, literally. Like, that's, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, not fashion, like, logistics. <laughs> One of the things that I think is incredibly important for for founders, and you and I probably talked about this, is really embedding yourself into the startup community and finding, especially as a solo entrepreneur, is finding people to soundboard, finding your network. Do you have a group of people that you kind of come together with or you can brainstorm with that are founders, or do you find ways to stay connected to the startup world? Yeah, for all the accelerators and incubators that I've been in, I've probably been a part of like five and that just has been from researching and applying like some I don't get into, some I do get into. I've met a ton of cool founders throughout that and we have group chats and I've seen a lot of events, they invite me to events and it's just a great sounding board like from the mentors in the groups of the accelerators like you that I met and then other fellow startup founders that are actually in the accelerators. We have Slack communities and all that stuff. So you're really able to ask any question from like, how do you hire part-time customer service reps to like, who's going to this event next week, right? Like the breadth of information you can get from these people is 
really invaluable, especially in the early days. It's amazing. Yeah, I think it's staying connected to that is is key, especially because they might ask a question or be solving a problem that you didn't even realize you had yet. And it just kind of connects those dots for you or gets you thinking about some problems that you might be facing in the future and just getting ahead of those things. My last question, and it's my favorite question, but so far it's been every single guest's most hated question. So the name of the podcast is How I Became, and we talked a lot about racks and your growth over the last year, but yeah. I'm curious if you were to name your this episode, How You Became, at this point in time, Coming what would out. you name your episode? How I Became dot dot dot. I love this question. It's good to, it allows you to reflect on like where you currently are at and then also reflect back onto your journey you know what it might not be the best answer but I think just how I became a founder like I mentioned earlier it's been a really hard thing for me to say like if so that's what I do I don't even say like that I'm the founder of rap that I'm an entrepreneur just because it's such a maybe back to your other question that you know you're not a founder or entrepreneur unless you've hit a certain level of success or unless you've hit this milestone and I think it's not talked about enough like even though I've been live for a year, like I'm not as far as long as I want to be because of the slow and leggy app. So it has been a hard thing for me to say, especially since I haven't been, you know, as happy as I could be with the product and putting it out there slow and leggy felt like a reflection of myself and all these things. Like so many different factors that made it hard for me to say that I'm like a founder and an entrepreneur, even though it's what I do all day, every day. So maybe the, yeah, I'm like founder of rocks is what I think. It's been a hard thing to say. So even though it might be the most obvious answer you'll get from a title of what people you interview, I think it's important to own like this is what I, you're doing, even if you're early stage or even if you're just ideation stage or maybe an entrepreneur at in at a company, like not actually doing it yourself. Um, so yeah, I think just how I became a founder. And that's a hard thing to say. And I'm still feel like I don't deserve that title, even though I did serve. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be more comfortable with saying it. <laughs> so that's what I'll name the to make myself say that I'm a founder of Rocks. <laughs> you are the founder of Rocks. It's it's true. It is very scary because you're putting expectations on yourself by actually saying the words out loud. But you did it. You're you're into it. You can look at your you know your LinkedIn and just see all the success and the growing success that you've had over the years. So. It's definitely something to not just whisper, but scream. I'm really excited for you. I'm so happy you came on and shared your story and we'll follow your continued success. And we'll have a part two when you guys uh, have the fastest app and you're number one on the app store. And I'm very excited for that time. How I Became, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Kelly Yafet and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more How I Became content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.